another announcement about prayer, but today I'm going to start talking about prayer, so I'm going to fit a few things right into that. The title of the message today is Looking at Prayer Again for the First Time. So here we are in January. Happy New Year, by the way. <laughs> and this, this month always marks a new beginning time. It's almost like it's the starting line for new things to begin happening. It's not just a date. It's a chance to start over. And God does that for us. He gives us chances to start over. We try to kind of do it on our own. That's what New Year's resolutions are all about, right? Okay, so I'm going to change this. We start recognizing, wow, this year needs to be different. I need to get this area of my life together or that area of my life together. And God actually stirs us in those areas because those things are good for us. You know, he's the one that designs seasons and cycles and flows through those things. You know, we see a reptile losing its skin. We see trees that look so barren now, but they're going to bud forth. We're going to see that, you know, in next month, how God is going to do that. Every day, there's a new sunrise, right? The Lord loves to cause seasons and cycles to flow together. So every January, we start experiencing this inspiration after overdoing it all through the holidays, you know, and being with friends and eating food we don't normally eat, boy, we all of a sudden feel this urge or maybe a need is a better word to get back to the gym, right? And the Lord uses those things to kind of help us remember, remember what's good for us, remember what is a good path for us to walk on. But January is more than just a good time to buy exercise clothes because they're on sale. <laughs> this, this is the month where Christians all over the world know it's time to reboot my prayer life. I really need to look at it. I want God to come because we know we're Christ followers. We know nothing is accomplished aside from prayer, that God's intervention, his leadership, it's paramount. We have to have it. We're singing songs about revival, but it was all about, Lord, do this because we need it, right? We know that. And in some ways, it might seem like I'm preaching to the choir today. I know that because you're all faithful people who love to pray. But I hope to just inspire us to go a little bit deeper. One of the ways we do that with prayer is we add a partner to it, and that is fasting. And, you know, we kind of know it's coming in December. Christians are going to start talking about fasting, you know, and then there's those decisions to make. Will it be a Daniel fast? That sounds easier, but it's 21 days. I don't know. You know, we go through this stuff because we're on sugar overload. That's why we can't, you know, just make those decisions because we know that fasting is this strange thing that makes us feel weak in our body, but it strengthens our spirit. It's one of those opposite things like what we were just saying. Something has to die so something else can burst forth. And when we pray and we add fasting to it, we see results that wouldn't have come another way. It's sort of like when you just diet, you get a certain amount of results. But when you add exercise to it, you get a different result. And so that's kind of how those two things partner together. And I'll tell you, you take away our in and out burgers, we get focused really quick, right? So that's kind of 
what happens? It sharpens our focus. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and other areas of prayer throughout the month. You know, we're one church in many locations, so Gateway likes to come together as a family and be strategic about prayer. So we're doing this series right now, Pray Like This, because we're going to cover the prophetic, intercession. We're going to cover the Lord's Prayer. Today, it's going to be more personal. We're going to cover spiritual warfare just to kind of reboot every part, those essential parts of prayer. And when we do it personally, it's wonderful, and God moves. But if I'm doing it, and you're doing it, and you're doing it, and you're doing it, I mean, that unified thing build strength. It's like a multiplication effect, right? And then if I realize, okay, and our brothers and sisters in Santa Rosa and Las Vegas and Gilbert are doing it too. In San Jose, they're doing it at the same time. We're having our own prayer surge. They're having theirs. And you just realize there's power in those kind of numbers. You know, it's not that just that we want to fill the church just to fill it, but when it comes to multiplying a prayer effort or something like that, you see the power of one putting a 1,000 to flight and two putting 10,000 to flight. And we need some things to take flight. <laughs> so it's a good time to come together as a family. Well, the phrase pray like this comes from the famous Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus literally turned people's thinking upside down. He loved to do that, didn't he? He challenged people with lifestyle changes that would begin in their hearts. And this was so different from the religious leaders that they were used to following who loved to just say, more and more rules. And they would come up with more rules. It's sort of like, it's so mean, really, when you think about it. They had this job where they didn't really have to do anything but look spiritual. And, and so, but the people are working and doing all these things and they kept putting more and more rules on them. And the kind of rules it required them to, you know, be dressed just so, wash your hands just so, so many things they had to do to measure up. And so Jesus comes along and he's saying, um, I don't care so much about that. It's good to wash your hands, but it's better to wash your heart. So he would go right to those heart issues. He would tell them to love their enemies, repent of anger, give in secret. He warned him about judgmental attitudes, and he said, you know, you can be free from anxiety. And he also talked very candidly about prayer. So Matthew 6, part of the Sermon on the Mount, includes Jesus' instruction on giving. And it starts with him talking about giving, and it says right after he tells them to give secretly, and your Father who sees all you do will reward you openly, he says... Prayer works exactly the same way. So it's really interesting. He put those two things together. They're both things that deal with attitudes, something coming from our heart. And yet he's saying it needs to be secret. And we're going to be talking about that today. Jesus really was not so concerned about what they were doing, how they would pray as much as he was concerned about them developing a relationship like he had with the Heavenly Father, an intimate relationship. That's what he was after. So going for the heart, talking about, you know, just 
experiencing God on a level that they were not used to at all. They figured those religious people that did it all right, those were the ones who were going to connect with the Father. But Jesus is coming along saying, no, if you do these things, you're going to have it. You're going to have that kind of relationship with the Father. So let's get personal about our prayer lives and let's read this text together in Matthew 6. Whenever you pray, be sincere and not like the pretenders who love the attention they receive while praying before others in the meetings and on street corners. Believe me, they've already received in full their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your innermost chamber and be alone with the Father God, praying to Him in secret. And your Father who sees all you do will reward you openly. When you pray, there's no need to repeat empty phrases, praying like those who don't know God, for they expect them since your father already knows what you need before you ask him. And then he says, pray like this, and we go into the Lord's Prayer. So posture was very important to the religious leaders of that day, and so was posturing. They made a point to stand on the street corner with sackcloth and ashes and not comb their hair. So everybody knew they were fasting and they had to do things a certain way to draw attention. And this kind of thing kind of drove Jesus crazy. It was all about exalting the person and showing that their, their methods and their supposed humility was making them so close to God. Jesus was not impressed. He wanted the people to understand what prayer was really all about. Every day, the disciples are with him and other people that are following him. And they're seeing these miracles, right? They're seeing Jesus' power save people, heal people, miracles. People are being raised from the dead. Now, I don't know, but if I were them, I would be thinking that's pretty important. This power oh, that's probably in this kingdom he's talking about. It's probably going to, we're going to use that power, so we need to know how to use that power. Let's ask Jesus, where does the power come from? Thinking about stories they knew, like Samson and Delilah, and maybe, you know, if we know the secret of the power, this kingdom thing can happen, and it'll all be good. But Jesus had a different idea in mind. You know, today people... They look at superstars, even us Christians, we get enthralled with certain famous people and what they've been able to achieve. And I think sometimes we just maybe hope something would kind of just fall on us. Maybe we could glean on some of that. But, and the disciples were probably doing some of the same thing. They weren't expecting Jesus to just turn around to them and talk to them about prayer the way that he did. Because these were good Jewish boys. Maybe not that good. But they were, you know, even the ones that weren't as wealthy, they, they went to synagogue, they learned the prayers, they memorized the thing, they knew how to sing the thing a certain way. So it was a lot about form and performing it perfectly and doing it right. And when it comes to prayer, we're not so much different today. We think about the form. How do we do it? There's so many books on prayer. There's so much in the Bible about prayer. How do we do it? You know, where do we do it? How do we say it? Where do we begin? These are all good questions. 
They're reasonable questions. But Jesus, it's as if, you know, sometimes the disciples would ask him something, and then it was like he didn't even hear them because he would start talking about something else. But really, he just wanted them to see the underlying thing or where their focus should be. And that's what he's doing about prayer because he begins to talk about motives and rewards. Rewards? They weren't so used to that idea. They were used to the earning idea, but not the reward idea. And that wouldn't be associated with prayer, would it? But that's exactly where Jesus went. And the first thing he says is, whenever you pray, be sincere, not like the pretenders. I mean, we might say hypocrites because we know a lot of people who say, Christians are all hypocrites. And so, you know, what they're really saying is sometimes they're pretenders. They look all good on Sunday, but we know how they live other times and nobody's perfect and hoping that maybe that'll get me in because they aren't, you know, those kind of things people are dealing with. So Jesus goes right there to the attitude of the heart. And he starts to talk to them about prayer. Well, number one, our prayer relationship with the Father begins with sincerity. Because like I said, Jesus hates pretension and posturing. He calls it pretending. And he knows this kind of humility and vulnerability, it's not in it. But if you have that, you have a chance to be intimate with the Father. That kind of vulnerability, what he's going to be talking to us about, it's pretty, I think it would be pretty hard to develop that with an audience, don't you? And so we're going to get into that, how he wants us to do these things in secret. He stresses the importance of what God sees and hears from you personally, not what is said outwardly to people necessarily. I mean, he's listening when we pray. We're praying this morning in a group of people. He hears that. But your relationship with him, the one that you have that is formed on prayer or your conversation, your connection with him, it starts in a very personal way. And I know being a pastor's daughter, growing up in church, I've heard some people pray that are amazing. And when I was young, I remember thinking, I'm never going to lead prayer. And if anybody asked me to lead prayer, I would just be so nervous. And afterwards, I would think what I should have said, because I was so impressed by how people pray. And how do you do that? And even when I didn't understand what the anointing fully was, I knew there was a feeling. Why is it different when that person prays versus that person? Because you just felt God was in the room or something was happening. So it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Why wouldn't you want to emulate that? And Jesus wasn't denying the importance of praying in a group or prayers being offered publicly, but what he wants is for them to understand connecting with God begins by revealing your heart to God privately. That's where you become the kind of vessel that he can use, is in that private place. So connecting with God privately helps us focus on him more than our praying. Can you imagine that if you could spend time with the Lord and never say a thing, but if you were 
your heart was totally leaning into him, that he would love that, that he would just love being with you. When you do things for an audience of one, nobody else is watching. The Lord already knows everything you're thinking, and yet you open your heart to him. There's a vulnerable sharing that takes place, and God loves that more than anything. When you're in those kind of times with the Lord, he can shine his light on some sin in our lives. And we can open up because everybody isn't watching us do it. It's easier. It's not fully easy, but if we stop and think about it, he knows everything. I've done everything. I think everything I will do. So why don't I just get real here? <laughs> That's the, a better opportunity to do it when we're on our own. And maybe some other things will come out. Maybe we will feel more open to forgive a certain person or extend mercy to somebody who's wounded us. Things that are activities of the Spirit, right? Things the Spirit would lead us into when we're vulnerable and open and we're honest and we're looking unto the Lord. It's also a time where we just feel his goodness, like penetrating our hearts. Why, when I just told him all this stuff I did, why is his spirit coming on me now so generously and just touching me so much? Aren't those the best times with the Lord? Where he just bypasses all the earning and says, ah, Jesus already did that. Come on, just come in. And he loves us in this beautiful way. Sincerity exposes religious attitudes. And privacy with the Father gives us a safe place to let them come up and out. I say it that way because they're generally pressed down <laughs> inside. You know, we, we struggle with this. We don't want to face it. Ah, push it down. And so for those things, those wounds, those pains, those hurts those attitudes to come up that we don't really want to see. I mean, sometimes we need a little help. And just being private with the Lord, it makes it a safer place to do that. But it's also coming into obedience, what he's just asked us to do. So he knows it's a good place for us to connect with him. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 it's an example of connection. It's David with the Lord. It's one that invites us to go deeper. As I read it, would you just come into agreement if you like, if that's what you feel as your prayer? God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through all my anxious cares. See if there's any path of pain that I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious, everlasting ways, the path that brings me back to you. That represents a way to invite the Lord in to that deep part of our heart, his searching gaze. Well, how would he respond to that? What do you think he would do? Well, Psalm 91 gives us an example. Here's the Lord's response to that kind of sincere invitation. He says, 
because you've delighted in me as my great lover, I will greatly protect you. I will set you in a high place, safe and secure before my face. I will answer your cry for help every time you pray. And you'll find and feel my presence even in your time of pressure and trouble. I'll be your glorious hero and give you a feast. You will be satisfied with full life and with all that I do for you, for you will enjoy the fullness of my salvation. God loves this kind of prayer because there's no pretending in it, right? It's just very real, you and him. The focus is on relationship more than things we might need because it says in that text that we're focusing on today, he already knows before we ask everything that we need. Not that we don't ask, because he tells us to do that too, but our perspective needs to be, he already knows it anyway. What he wants me to do is connect with him. The thing we need most is simply him. I need you, Lord. How many times have we said that right? I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. Because we do. It's when we get busy with all the other things and doing the, all th the other things, we think that we're in charge somehow or that we're holding it all together. And it's when we get alone with God and we're kind of vulnerable and go, oh, yeah, you're God and I'm just me. But you love me anyhow and you want this time with me. How amazing is that? Well, number two, the rewards are found in the secret place. So back to our text, whenever you pray, go into your innermost chamber or the secret place, be alone with Father God, praying to him in secret, and your Father who sees all you do will reward you openly. You have a favorite place you like to go? If you feel like, oh, I just got to... I got to get alone. I got to think. I got to pray. I got to, you know, is it a certain place in your house? Is it walking out on the trail over here? I'd say the beach, but I know that's a couple hours. <laughs> you got to drive to do it from here. But, you know, are there those places that you just feel the most safe, the most comfortable to be yourself? Well, all of us have places we like to go, and God does too. He wants to meet with you and I in our secret place. But we need to understand that secret place he's talking about is the innermost chamber of your heart. That's where he wants to come to. And then he wants you to realize you're under the shadow of the Almighty. How much closer can you get to someone than their shadow? So... He is the secret place we run into and are safe. And he comes to the place where our secrets are. And he asks us, open those things up. And he comes in and shows us, I know it all anyway. Now let me impart some things to you. And because you're opening up like this, there are rewards to be had. Your secret place is somewhere you choose to go 
and be alone with the Father. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. In natural terms, it's a location that you, you feel like is special, a special place to meet with God. So if you have a larger house, maybe you really could have a prayer closet. But a lot of us, our houses, I know ours is not big enough to have that. So, you know, it, it has to be a place where you go and that's where you meet him. So in a small place, it could be a little piece of carpet you put down in front of that chair. And when you kneel on it, that becomes your secret place. It's no longer that room you're doing all these other things in because now that's where you go to meet with him. Even in the RV, I've picked the chair that I want to be in because I'm a little claustrophobic, so it's got to be the one where the room is a little more open, you know, and I, and I can move that little table and it has my coffee in the morning. It has my phone just for music, but I turn it over because I don't want to be distracted by it. It has my Bible there too. And different things happen there, but that's, that's my secret place. Jesus knew that if we went to a literal place, our regular spot with God, then the memories and the visitations of his spirit would be associated with a place. And it's almost like you go to that place and it's, it's special it's where he has met with you. And so it's not so hard to just go, he's going to meet with me again. He's always already established something with you there. It feels like home. Like home feels to us in a lot of different ways. It's easier to be intimate there because we feel safe in that place we commonly find and feel God. It might be a raggedy old chair, but in the spirit... It becomes this beautiful place where you are enthroned upon his presence. It's beautiful because he's there. It's beautiful because you're there. And, you know, it's not a religious thing like, oh, I can't pray unless I sit in that chair. I mean, if that starts to happen, we've missed the whole thing and we have to get back to that vulnerable thing. Once we understand that he is the secret place, then we can mix it up like Jesus did. I'm in the wilderness tonight praying with God. I'm in the garden tonight praying with God. The thing that he had already done was establish that connection, and that's what he wants us to do. God's presence is a pretty great reward all by itself. But God is a giver, so we can expect the unexpected after we meet with him. There's two things in this chapter that God talks about giving rewards for openly after we've done them secretly. So one is giving and the other is prayer. And these two things, they're the most personal, intimate things we can do. Nobody really knows what your bank account is or how much you're giving, but the Lord, it really is an intimate thing. And it's your treasure that you're giving out of the abundance of your heart. You're giving that treasure. And the same thing is happening when you're meeting with him in private, personally, in the secret place to prayer, to pray. These things are our worship. Worship isn't just the few songs we sing on Sunday. Worship is the giving of our life, the laying down before him, kissing his feet. You know, when people like the Pharisees of old prayed loudly on street corners, 
You know, they wanted people's respect or praise. And Jesus said, they already have their reward. Okay, so they got some praise. So people looked up to him a little bit, were intimidated. That's all they're ever going to get out of that. They're not, things aren't being stored up in heaven because of that. On the other hand, when we pray or give in secret, God rewards us in front of other people. <laughs> it's strange because he tells us, get secret about it. But then when he wants to reward us, I don't know why he does that completely, but I think he may want us to talk about him. And he may want his goodness to be exposed to people who've never been exposed to it before. So they see that lives are blessed, and then they find out those people are praying people. Those people are giving people. They'll make an association that can really help them in their life. He causes people to see how generous he is to those who genuinely, fervently seek him. And then he also rewards faith, the faith that it takes to live a life that seeks after God. So let me read Hebrews eleven six to you in the Passion Translation. It says, and without faith living within us, it would be impossible to please God. For we come to God in faith knowing that he's real and that he rewards the faith of those who passionately seek him. You're not going to go unrewarded. We don't do it for the reward. We're not seeking the gift. We're seeking the giver. But because he's such a giver, he gives us gifts. So it's all about that focus. And if we have things in the way and we meet with him privately, he exposes those things in a grace-filled, blood-covered atmosphere so that we can truly be free. Matthew 6 and Hebrews 11, those two passages, it doesn't, God doesn't specify what our rewards will be. He just says that he sees all that we do, which is much more important than any person seeing. And he'll reward us openly for our secret offerings of prayer and money. <laughs> God is just into blessing. He just loves to bless people. He loves to bless people openly. He likes to surprise us like we like to surprise our children on Christmas morning and have it be the thing that they would want the most. He loves those kind of things. Rewards are part of who he is. He tells us these things would be exceedingly above anything we could ask or think. That's the kind of rewards he's into. I don't know. I, I think the church easily looks for a formula, going back to that, what we were talking about before with form. And so at different times, different groups have said, if you pray it like this, then you'll get this. And that's not really even scriptural because we don't know what those rewards are going to be. But I don't think it's money for money all the time. But sometimes it will be. We reap what we sow. But if I were to have a choice, and God knows my heart, do I want him to give me a new car? Or do I want to see my children walking in the truth on fire for God? and fulfilling their destiny. It's no contest for me. 
Give away that car. <laughs> Give that away too. Let's start sowing into this, these eternal things. And the more we meet with God privately, the more eternity gets a hold of our soul, gets a hold of our spirit. It's beautiful. Number three, prayer is more than words. People like words. We're full of them, aren't we? <laughs> I know some of us have a greater flow, know a lot of words, and use a lot of words, and others are a person of few words. And whatever your vocabulary, your verbal abilities might be, when you pray, God wants more than empty words. That's in the passage we're reading. Empty words, verse 7. When you pray, there's no need to repeat empty phrases. Praying like those who don't know God, they expect Him since your Father already knows what you need before you ask Him. In other words, it's not your words that impress Him anyway. It's your sincerity of heart and thought. It's the willingness to make it personal between just you and him. He's most impressed that you want to include him in your heart's desires and thoughts. Why would the God of the universe care if I include him in my heart thoughts? But that's who our God is. He is love. So having a love connection with us is so important to him. <laughs> He's impressed that you would include him in those things. How it comes out is not nearly as important to God as the surrender. You know, sometimes when you're overcome with emotion, have you noticed that you can't speak? It's like you've been saying a bunch of words and then they won't come out or or like for me, I'll be worshiping and singing away. God's spirit hits me and it's like, I can't, I can't say anymore. And I don't want to. What I want to do is kneel or something else. I don't want anything to stop the flow of his spirit coming like it's coming. It's so beautiful. We're overwhelmed by the deep feelings that we're experiencing in those moments. So your words might not become audible, but your heart is communicating. Your heart is communing. Your heart is connecting. And God loves it when we wait on him in those moments. He loves that. What does the Lord love? That's what the Lord loves. That's what he loves. He loves a lot of things, but that's what he really loves. When we get to that place of intimacy that won't allow us to say the right words that we've heard other people say, we're in a really good place when it's the real thing, no pretending. In that kind of realm of the spirit, words might even be a distraction. You ever kind of felt that like, and we're famous for it in church, the Holy Spirit starts moving, and, but we've only got so much time, and we, the babysitters can only be in there so long, and you know, so we come up and we try to steer it as pastors, and sometimes we're quenching it, and sometimes, you know, and that's a hard thing. It'll never be perfect till heaven. But if we have enough of these private times, we won't feel so much like we miss something in the public times. In our key passage from Matthew 6, we see people have an expectation, and that's if they use a lot of words, God will hear them. I don't want to put God in that kind of a finite box. So if he knows my every thought, 
before I even utter it, Psalm 139. Words, mere words, are not just the answer. Let's just take the time. Let's make the time to be with the Lord where his Holy Spirit can come to us. Let's wait. Let's listen. Let's receive God's thoughts, not do all the talking ourselves, <laughs> but let him communicate to us, reveal things by his Spirit. You know, Paul said that he prayed with understanding, without understanding. He's talking about tongues. He's talking about praying that spirit language and then also praying in the language he uses every day. Sometimes he does it this way. Sometimes he does it that way. It's good to mix things up. <laughs> and when you are speaking in tongues, the spirit is released through you. I like looking at it in this simplistic way. When we pray in the Spirit, we know we're always praying the right thing because God's praying through us. You know, my mom would say to my kids or something, she'd say like, do you know what the Holy Spirit sounds like? No. And so then, you know, she'd just speak in tongues. That's what he sounds like. Now you do it. They would do it. Oh, that's what the Holy Spirit sounds like. The Holy Spirit isn't one voice. <laughs> He, he can have as many as he wants. He can blend them in any way he wants. We're not going to get to heaven and there's one, one worship team, you know, that does it just so and the, that's the way we like it. Nobody else is as good as them. I mean, anybody who's had a near-death experience or, you know, they come back saying everything's dimensional. It's like, you know, there's colors you couldn't even imagine that you've never seen before. That alone gets us, Right? Colors we haven't seen before, sounds we haven't heard before. We really do put God in a box. But it's in these private times where we're willing to just be vulnerable and our words aren't so important that the Holy Spirit gets to speak. He actually has plenty to say. <laughs> but, you know, we just fumble through it. Or as soon as he starts to speak to us, I've had a problem with this. How do I put that in a sermon? I'm going to write that down. Is that supposed to go in a book? Is that supposed to be a blog? What is that, you know? And like, oh, brother, stop yourself. Go back to where you were and just sit with him. Some more beautiful things will come out. Well, the Lord's Prayer is going to be taught because we're not against words here. Think about the Psalms, 150 chapters of words that are prayer connections with God, worship connections with God. And then there all the things we learn about declaring things. And the prophets speak. I mean, there's so much that we can do with words. So I'm not against that <laughs> by any means. I'll never shut up. So, you know, it's like words are important to me. I, I get that. But what's more important to me is my connection with the Father, isn't it? That's why you guys are here. You know, some people think it's still the holiday. Here <laughs> you guys all are. Why are you here? You want connection with him and his body. And he loves that. So let's just kind of round it up with some more practical things. You could come and just like that. Spirit hovering over the water song. I love that one. Okay. <laughs> um, 
my husband, I want to tell something on him. You know, our church, my dad wrote books about prayer. I mean, praying for an hour, pre-service prayer, post-service prayer. We had so much prayer going on, you know. <laughs> and so Steve wanted to develop this early morning prayer habit. And we were more like late night people. And those two things don't go very well together, you know. So for one year, he set his alarm every morning and didn't get up. Can you imagine that? And now, guess what? He never needs an alarm. He had a breakthrough. But he was asking God to do something deeper. And he was just sowing seed into it. All right, I'll set the alarm. <laughs> now I didn't get it right. Now I can't get up. Oh, I'm a failure. And then working through all that stuff <laughs> and realizing God loves it that he did that. Now he's given him a prayer life that I think few people experience, honestly. <laughs> but he had to sow into it. So it's a new year. Get rid of the guilt. Get rid of the whatevers, you know, and see what God wants you to do this year. This month, we're going to, on the 21st, there's a, a prayer time we're going to join with San Jose. But I'm going to call some different prayer times. And as far as fasting goes, I spent so many years feeling like if we don't do it this way, because we'd have these prophetic meetings and people were a candidate, you know, you had to fast for three days with just water. And I just feel like I was completely dying. What kind of prayer really came out of that? But yet God changed, you know, but I thought that's the standard, you know, so it's got to be just water. or It's got to be, you know, so many days or whatever. I think our world is sort of flip-flopped where now, we just do Daniel fasts, or we think we're fasting when we get off the screen or the internet for a while. <laughs> we need to get back to what the Bible says about fasting. There's nothing wrong with the Daniel fast, but I, I know last year, I was seeing so many elaborate recipes come out online <laughs> on Instagram and everything else. Like, I'm like, really? Is this fasting? Because it seems like the whole... <laughs> I know people wanted to share. I don't know what their hearts are. I'm, I don't want to judge anybody. I'm just saying it seemed like so much concentration on food. Is that plant-based? Oh, I can have it. You know, kind of thing. So I've done Daniel fast. We've done really long juice fast. We've done things with just water. We've done, you know, and all of it's good because it eventually gets to you. <laughs> Daniel fasts are easy for two weeks. It's that third week, you know, if you keep going, where you think, okay, now we're fasting. Okay. So, you know, it depends on how fast you want to get there as far as that, you know, the stripping away of some things that are in the way. I don't know. I mean, some of the juice fasts that I did, there was too much sugar in that juice, and it kind of hurt my metabolism in a way. And so... I don't know. I've decided I'm going to do liquids for a certain number of days. And <laughs> my main focus is to buffet my body, <laughs> like Paul said, to 
not make it easy on myself, but not try to earn anything by how I do it. I'm not going to tell everybody how I'm doing it or, oh, don't talk to me today. I'm fasting. <laughs> We're not going to, you know, do it your way. Have the liberty to do it your way. But ask the Holy Spirit what would be good. What would be good for you? And just do that with you and the Lord. As far as prayer, you know, do what Steve's did. Set an alarm. <laughs> you can actually change your body clock by doing something like that. Now we both get up early. I can't believe that I do that now. I know some of it's age, but some of it was a definite decision of moving into a habit. So it's never too late to form a habit. I would say if you use your phone, these are just simple things, but if you use your phone, and I like to because it's lit up and I like praying in the dark, but if I pick up my phone and there's a message there, I have a decision to make then. Am I going to look at that? Am I going to answer that? Where'd my focus go? You have to know yourself. And you have to decide what you want to do with that. But don't be afraid to try again. Don't be afraid to go deeper. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. The Lord sees it all anyway. Let me read Psalm 91. 1, 2, 9, and 10. When you sit enthroned under the shadow of Shaddai, you are hidden in the strength of God Most High. He's the hope that holds me and the stronghold to shelter me, the only God for me and my great confidence. When we live our lives within the shadow of God Most High, our secret hiding place, we will always be shielded from harm. How then could evil prevail against us or disease infect us? take a few moments here and just rededicate ourselves. That doesn't mean you've walked away from God. It's just a January thing. Just go with me. <laughs> Let's stand. And if sometimes we, God knows, if we lift our hands, it's going to feel like surrender. If we do this, it's going to feel like we're offering something to him. Would you mind just trying that? Just lay your hands out before him and say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Use me. Send me. Connect with me. Be with me. Fill me to overflowing. Rend my heart and let heaven come in. Tear down any walls that I have, any unforgiveness, anything that needs repentance on my part. Expose it with the light of your spirit that is like truth and it's like love. Oh God, don't let... This is me, Lord. I'm saying this personally. I don't want to get to the end of 2022 and not be in a place that is beyond where I am now. And what I mean is, 
I want to be so connected with you. I want to be so vulnerable with you, Holy Spirit. I want to be so spirit-led when I pray that nothing gets in the way of my relationship with you, my time with you, my heart for you. Oh, have your way, Lord. Have your way. Have your way. Lord, show me how to how to fast, how to find a secret place, how to really let go of all the preconceived forms and ideas and just press into you that whatever else I learn, it's like it's added on top of that personal expression that is you and me alone. That's my heart for this year, Lord. Thank you.